it's the centennial episode. Mediterranean land. Hello, and welcome to episode 100 of Whoa. We Bought a Mic. What an incredible, amazing time to be alive, folks, mm. where you can make a podcast that will last for 100 episodes to 100 more. Yeah. So to celebrate 100 years for the next 100 minutes, we're going to be doing a power hour. I'm springing this on you guys where every minute we take a shot of beer and it's like IPA. Do we have beer? No. Oh, okay. So we're just going to pee in each other's mouths. Yeah. IPA. <laughs> I'm Ernest Calderon. <laughs> I am Hunter before sunrise Mobley. Ooh. I'm Drew Deedson. That's uh, a we should have really each been nickname. Yeah, we should have each been. We are the before trilogy. I think I'm like a before midnight because I'm constantly in conflict yeah. with myself. Well, I called mm. I called dibs on sunset. Oh, no, I wanted sunset. No. So, this is a series of films that we have watched, uh, kind of in different um, bursts. All, all, each of us. I was the first one to do it because I own the Crite. Mm. Um, and then cry, I, yeah, cry, yeah. Cry. So technically, this is an episode of Crack and Crite. Man, entire. This is my dream. This is my wet. <laughs> this dream. is the first is one I've ever participated. And this might be the only one I ever participate in. Yeah, actively. Yeah. So I lent you guys the uh, the Blu-ray combo triple pack mm. of the films. If you don't know, this is what, in my opinion is the magnum op- opus of Mr. Richard Linklater shot over the course of uh, almost 30 years, 20-something years. It's also the magnum opus of just trilogies and franchises in general. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, so before we start, I wanted to bring up um, recently, or I guess it was about a year ago at this point, Ethan Hawke did a, uh, a podcast with Bill Simmons where they kind of go in about these movies and how like the process of making them worked. And, uh, like, between Hawk and Linklater, like, they always have this joke that this is, that Before Sunrise is the lowest grossing movie to ever garner a sequel. Like, that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these movies were not successful at all, but it was almost like the ultimate passion project for these guys, that they were like, man, we made that first movie, it was great, like, we love doing it, we think that it's a truly great movie, and then they just came together, like, eight years, and they're like, ah, what would happen if we made another movie, another before movie? Mm-hmm. They came up with Before Sunset, and then yeah. similar thing happened with Before Midnight. Each so, about nine, nine years, years apart. apart. Yeah. So, uh, 95, 04, and 2013. So, we have another one coming out 2022, hopefully. We'll see. We'll see. That'd be wild. Uh, so it's it's like you said it's it's Mr. Ethan Hawke and it's mm-hmm. also Julie Delpy. So I mean we've touched on these on these films b- on past episodes when I saw them and then when you saw them, Hunter. And then when now I saw them. But now you have seen them, Drew. I have indeed. And and now this is why we're taking an entire episode to uh, devote to the trilogy because I I believe it deserves it. It deserves a deep dive. This this trilogy is 
you know, I think that you could put any movie in front of me and I would be able to feel superior to it and nitpick it in some way. And I probably could with these movies, but I so don't want to. In, in my mind, in my heart, I feel that these are perfect movies. Yeah. All of them. Even the one that is maligned more than the others. Uh, I To me, they are all just flawlessly done. Like, I, I can't like them any more than I do. They're, it's a, they're amazing. It's a masterclass in acting, directing, and writing. Yeah. Because the thing that blows my mind so much i mean there's a lot of things about these movies that blow my mind but one of them is the fact that the dialogue comes off as improv imp- improvised yeah but it's heavily heavily scripted yeah like to a t well yeah and that's that's how these movies work we should say in general these movies all three of them follow almost exclusively uh ethan hawk and julie delpy's characters as they mostly just walk around in europe and just talk and it's and yeah and the scenes you know takes can be like more than you know five to ten minutes and and just scenes themselves can be 30 minutes because they're not being broken up by exposition of like oh we have to get here by now or else this is going to happen that's really where and also there are no uh kind of stakes i guess you would say but there are that's that's kind of why well, the I love stakes them. are all about what this relationship even is and what it means to these people. Yeah, how their love for each other has yeah. come to define it's their just, lives. It's the most refreshing palate cleanser of my whole fucking life <laughs> to watch these movies. Yep. After everything we're watching, we've been watching a lot of really middle of the road, big scale movies this year. These movies, instead of like one scene being like, "Oh, I gotta hack into the FBI," and then and then the, you know the next scene is just it naturally comes off that because some other person's doing something really important. It's like, "Hey, we're talking for twenty minutes in a coffee shop. Hey, do you want to walk around and talk? Yeah, let's do that." And then they walk around and talk for twenty more minutes, and it's <laughs> engrossing and yeah. exciting to see the sparks fly between these two actors. You know, that's what makes this film these films so amazing to me is that. The the writing and the directing and the fucking performances of these two actors are just beyond flawless because we're not at, at no point am I thinking that I'm seeing actors saying lines. Mm-mm. These are fully realized people and before they, my eyes. And to that point, they feel so real because these are two they're tragically flawed people, but they're not like my father left me whenever <laughs> I was four, so that's why I am the way that I am. No, it's just like Ethan Hawke, like thing about his character is that like he's a very relatable guy and we can all kind of find something to relate to in Jesse. But I mean he's still he's still kind of a creepy dude. He's still just like especially in the first movie, <laughs> a like sleazy, he kind of, of just he brings everything back around to sex of just like talking about yeah, He's just, a like, horny boy. Yeah. Like that's kind of and at the time, especially before sunrise, they are he's like twenty. Yeah, so I'd say he's like a young adult. Like yeah. he is just a and horny dude. I hate to say it, but men be horny. <laughs> so I, I wanna I wanna kind of all right. We we didn't we didn't fully lay out the, the structure of how this episode is gonna be. Are we are we gonna have spoilers just off the Let's bat? Let's just right go now? right into spoilers because I want to go through movie by movie. Okay. But while talking about one movie, we can talk about how that leads into themes that are in the okay, other Okay, so listeners, I, I recommend you check these movies out. Please watch them. If you want to listen and know what happens, you can. 
uh, and you you'll still find a lot to get out of it. Yeah, uh, they're incredible. Honestly, yeah. I knew what these movies were before I saw them, and it didn't take away a single thing for me. But um, I I will say there are moments in the in in the second and third movie that I think are that play out so perfectly because you don't quite know where we're gonna be picking mm. up in this relationship. Oh yeah, you really never there are know. there is especially the f- opening moments of the third film you're just kind of dropped in and you kind of have to figure things out on the fly as to exactly because the second one ends on this kind of ambiguous note and this sort of cliffhanger that you don't know what it, it, the third movie is even going to be. So I, I suggest you watch the films. If, if you want to be spoiled, that's, that's your call, but these are masterpieces. Yep. These are fucking this is much, phenomenal much yeah watch if you're films. if you're interested in this type of thing this sort of free-flowing uh structured movie this is the opus of that style i would say not yeah. that i've seen everything that you got to see in that genre but these are movies that remind you why movies are good well i mean do you guys you guys have already brought the point about the uh improv improvisational field but highly scripted and you can tell that it's almost like Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke just went somewhere and they just had a conversation and then there's just somebody there just like recording the whole thing and they're like, all right, let's just jot this all down. (laughs) And well, and the second and third movies are co-written by uh, Ethan and Julie and Ricky Lynx. Uh, They feel exactly where these characters need to to be. They inhabit them. And because of, I mean, how long these takes are, there's like 12 minute takes that are in this movie of just them talking. So it has to be heavy heavy scripted yeah it's... like it has to be overly and, scripted and ethan and hawk it... ethan hawk is not like he's not like a daniel day lewis caliber actor who transforms himself he's not a joaquin but his performance of jesse there's nothing about jesse that is anywhere near close to who the dad in boyhood is or who the preacher uh in first reform is mm-hmm. you know they, there's no giant transformation there but his his acting is so damn good that you don't think that he's a one trick pony. No, Ethan Hawke. There's a reason why he might be my favorite actor working. At least he's in like my top three favorite yeah, actors. He's working. so fucking good. Julie Delpy, who's somebody who like nobody really knows because she just does French films. Like she doesn't. She is not big in the American view at all. But you can tell why she chose these movies and this franchise to take part in because. Between Ethan Hawke and Richard Linklater, like they have this very similar sensibility about themselves, about how they're trying to make a very, sp- they're trying to strike a very specific tone with these yeah. movies. Do you want to start with the first one? Okay, before before we dive into before, plot details, before before, before, before sunrise, before <laughs> before we before, um, I just kind of want to give one more note, uh, sort of big picture about what these movies mean to me. Uh, they, I watched all of them with my girlfriend, and. They gave me such a perspective on what my expectations for love as an adult should be and how just the power of movies that like not only are you connecting with two people who feel like there's in the nine years in between each movie, you can see it all in your head. You can feel the the lives that have been led here. It's not 
you don't just get a slice and then a slice and a slice and that's it. You there there is a whole world there that we don't yeah. see. And it unfolds via dialogue so naturally that by the end of it you you realize that you know so much more than you thought because yeah. it's like, "Oh yeah, he did mention that he has a kid now or whatever the fuck." And I and I've applied so much of that to my own life when I'm thinking about where I want to be when I'm Jesse's uh, Jesse and, and Celine's age in the second and third movie about like how do I want to react when my partner is facing uh, X struggle or complication? What kind of partner do I want to be? What even means to be in a healthy, loving relationship? What mm-hmm. are the 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 um, positive expectations that you want out of your partner? Uh, and this is all so- it's things that came from watching this film uh, with my girlfriend and talking to her about it. And getting her perspective on the story and her emotional reaction to the events of of the films, it's such a magical thing for good, a movie to good, have. Uh, that. Yeah, good bonding trilogy f- with the GF. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because like you said, Hunter, these are flawed people, and it really makes you think about like how you want to be in your life and what kind of person you want to be in your in your uh, relationship. Well, and to that point, both of these actors, I mean, depending on whether or not you are a man or a woman or just in general, who it is that you sympathize with more, you almost, it turns the mirror around on yourself and you kind of have to do some air reflection because you can sit there and just be like, man, I really, I feel like I am Jesse. And then as the story goes along, you're like, shit. I am Jesse. Like, it, like <laughs> the whole perspective of it switches because you realize that these flaws that they have, they're very human and that there's something that we struggle with ourselves every day. Yeah. yeah it's great, amazing. Great the, points. The main, yeah, the main, these first two movies that we're going to talk about, uh, they have the most in common, obviously, out of the trilogy. And the the best thing about them, I think, is that they are on this line that I've never quite seen before, which is their pure escapism and fantasy but they're also like harshly realistic. And that is a, like if you see a movie like eighth grade, that's harshly realistic, but it's not escapism. Like right. it's like, no, you're you have to fucking sit here and watch this shit. These movies are like like pure like beauty uh, in a way that it's like escaping your real life, but also it's recognizable in real life. Well, I think particularly the first one. Yeah. Before Sunrise, the what happens in this movie that doesn't happen to people. Well, especially... That's not a real thing. You don't find a girl on a train and have an amazing, beautiful, romantic night with so her and everything. That... And love flourishes. Since we're moving into the first movie now, I will say that... I'll put, a, tell... I'll put a spoiler stamp here. This will be the time code right okay. here. Spoilers. So, for the most part, you can tell that Linklater purposefully made this these movies want to feel very timeless... And there really is this timeless quality to them where it feels like this could happen to anybody. The only thing is nowadays, uh, especially with society as it is, you would not just get off the train to go with somebody else. And also at the end, you would just get their cell phone number. Like you would actually, you would get their email. You'd get some kind of way to get in contact with yeah. this person. Yeah, that's that's extremely Which it, true. They do kind of touch on that in the second movie. Yeah. But other than that, it's it does have this timeless quality about it. Yeah. So, well, one thing that lays the stage in this first and before Sunrise that, that makes that work a little better for me is Ethan Hawke's acting, uh, particularly because 
he is not like the hottest guy in the world. He always has looked like a knockoff A-lister. He's he looks like Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray. Mm. He just he has an like it's not like girls would just see him in swoon in real life. It's very you know? insulting to Ethan Hawke. They has to look like fucking Sugar Ray. Well, the thing is, like, he's definitely like passably attractive. Like he's not unattractive by any means. He's an attractive guy, but he doesn't have like the Fabio thing where girls would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah please let me get off this he, train. He does have some beady <laughs> yeah. eyes. But so the way the way they make Jesse look with like just the the white t shirt and the jacket. <laughs> yeah, he's ratty and so carrying like a duffel bag around. So Ethan <laughs> has to really sell this intense charisma that Jesse has. And he absolutely nails it. Like he, of course, like nowadays we see that and we're like, that's a little weird. But in the moment of the movie, you're watching it. You're like, man, I hope she gets off that train with him. Like he's so like even uh, my girlfriend Allison was thinking that she was like, he's really selling it. Like, yeah, he because he doesn't look that amazing. He just acts like exactly how if I had a boyfriend, I would want him to be like Ethan Hawke is when they initially meet, and, of course. And I mean, whenever <laughs> it happens, like you can just tell, like he says to her, he's just like, hey, I know this is very weird, but yeah. like, will you just get off this train with me? Like, Well, yeah, it also plays into the writing because that's the most fantastical element of the whole thing almost is like the, the convincing. That's the most like exposition heavy, like scene of like someone has an intention you know the rest of the movie there's not a huge intention it's the, just more free it's more so just learning about each yeah. other pitch the pitch to her is genius writing yeah like that's the link later isms that make mm. this trilogy so good the the uh, the perfection of being like think of this as time travel and you get you're getting a second chance later on in your life when you feel like, dang, I should have gotten off when you're unhappy with your marriage and you yeah. keep thinking, I should have gotten off the train with yeah, that you're cute like, boy. Genius. Yeah, you're just like and you're just like your whole life when you're single, you're thinking, Man, what if I could just talk to that girl that I'm looking at? Like, of course I've never ever been able to do something. That's a why thing. this feels so it is such a perfect route to escapism because neither of them are in their home country. It's not like they're just gonna run into this person at the gas station tomorrow. Like yeah. this they're in this other country and if this goes bad they can just bail like that's what kind of leads to this and it's wish fulfillment it's, too it's wish fulfillment and it's kind of creates this willing of well you're good you might as well just jump off the cliff here because yeah. like no, what's the worst that could happen is that's a really awkward day and then you just go home yeah. and you forget about it and, yeah and so then the course of this movie and also the next one but especially this one is if you've ever fallen in love, it's the most recognizable feeling that this movie generates for you. Because the dialogue is so beautiful and the performances are so genuine. You're like, this is what it feels like when you're initially meeting and meshing with someone that you don't know that well. But you're like, oh, I think I might like really like this person. And especially when it's over an extended yeah. period of time. Like they spent this long, long night. They stay up all night talking yeah, to each other. And that's other. just what the movie is. It's just a couple very realistically falling in a sort of love with each other. Um, And I, I can't, I've never seen something so well written in my whole life. I yeah. feel like th these I, conversations, like it, it reminded me of so many conversations I've had where it's like, it's, it's flowing in a way that you, in, in your daily life, if you had known them for a long time, it would not flow this way. Yeah, well, we see that in the third one. It, there are lots of tangents in their conversation where they'll be talking about this one character trait and then like get off on this like side note about politics and about the downfall of the government and all yeah. this kind of stuff. That is the way that people just organically speak to yeah. each other. And men and another, women in general, all of these kind of big picture topics. Another uh, side note I wanted to make here, I brought it up before, I know whenever we were talking about like Call Me By Your Name, that it's almost like the ultimate cheat to just shoot stuff in Europe because Europe is such a beautiful place. Yeah. It just 
automatically makes your movie better. Yeah, no. For some movies, I think that that is almost a knock against it, that they're leaning on just look at how pretty this looks with a movie that's just okay. Um, for this movie, though, it fits perfectly because it feels like you're a traveler with them. Like, it feels like you feel why you relate to these characters so much is because it has this wish fulfillment aspect to it, but it feels like they're, they're both in this strange beautiful ancient city for the first time and you're exploring it with them just going down these random alleyways going down a riverside where there's somebody who will just like make a poem or make a poem for you on right a little there. typewriter like, yeah, yeah. It's, but the, the emphasis isn't on the the exotic location no it's not it just yeah. it is i mean it really is kind of a character to the story yeah, itself and it, and it, yeah and like it almost does add to the sort of fantasy of it like right. paris are they in paris no, this Vienna. is Vienna. Sorry. Paris Sorry. is the second one. Either way, the these European cities are for most people fantasy. Like to think of like, oh, I wish I could go to like Amsterdam for a week or whatever. Any of the like but it's also not like, you know, fucking uh Hogwarts. Yeah. <laughs> like it's there. <laughs> yeah, it's just a yeah, place. So it's... it's it's the perfect place to have this balance yeah. of fantasy and absolute reality. I, I did want to shout out one of the best scenes in the movie, which is the trolley scene. It's this one steady continuous shot doesn't cut of them just playing like kind of 20 questions uh in the back mm -hmm. of this trolley and that is when you start to to feel or at least in my opinion like holy shit they hit the jackpot with these actors the <laughs> chemistry here yeah it's crazy is off the fucking walls like they forgot that they were being filmed yeah i mean they didn't but you get the sense that yeah. it's like they're in this moment zeroed into each other the moment where jesse like takes off his jacket there's another moment that uh, that gets uh, uh called back in the next movie where she's looking away and he like wants to caress her hair like caress her face mm. and he just immediately she turns and he immediately backs his hand away yeah yep and just little touches like that you you feel like he is beyond infatuated with yeah. this french girl and so many so many props for that go to link later because not many directors are willing to relinquish a lot of power in the acting to their actors but i read in an interview this was a highly scripted script but he said that they could have gotten writing credit for the first one as well mm. because on the day of before they shot They'd be like, "Hey, I don't think that uh, my character would do this," and they would switch it up. And he was like, "Okay, yeah." Let's, and he was like, let's this, "Talk about yeah, it." Yeah, because he, that's why he likes making things. He loves like like discourse. He loves talking. He loves uh, trying to figure things out with other people. That's what these movies are about. <laughs> and the next two movies, uh, before they were when they were doing pre production, it was the three of them together working on the screenplay at all times. Yeah, they were. It was a. It's not like Linklater. Uh, had a script that then he sent to to Julie right. and and Ethan and and asked them for notes. Yeah. It was it was a fully collaborative process. This is a I I just don't want to forget it, so I'm gonna bring it up now. But starting into the pre production for Before Sunset, uh, Ethan Hawke was talking about it was about seven eight years after uh, Before Sunrise. Uh, him and uh, Linklater were like talking. There's like yeah, you know, like I really want to do another movie, but how are we gonna like start this up? And Ethan Hawke was like doing some press for some movie in Paris and he's like I've got it this is how the movie starts I write a book about that one night 
and then she comes there and Linklater is just like, hey, guess what? That's the entire movie is right there when this <laughs> yeah. happens in this that's one That's not the moment. start. That's just that, the movie. That is the movie. And that's, that's a perfect segue because uh, the way before sunset starts, I mean, obviously we get these beautiful shots of Paris, but starting it in that bookstore, that's a beautiful bookstore in Paris uh, called uh, Shakespeare and Company. It's across the street from uh, Notre Dame. Uh, and it's just this like cramped little place where every nook and cranny has a book in it. It's just like the the stereotypical. Have you been uh, there? Yeah, I've been there. The, this uh, stereotypical European uh, old. That was whenever bookstore. you met your Julie Delpy. <laughs> so, so uh, dropping us into the setting where we're basically hearing uh, Ethan Hawke do a reading of the book, recapping the events. Of the first movie, yeah. and I've I've I keep thinking about this scene, and every time I think about it, I'm just like, if he whether he knew it or not, he wrote that book to find her. Yep, mm-hmm. that yep. was his way of put of throwing out the net and being like, she is out there somewhere. I think they end well, up saying that, and either, they do. Yeah, either yeah, in this he, one or the third one. They okay, end up saying, he does say that yeah. he kind of wrote this out there and like. There's this whole like discourse around in this fictional world of like, oh, this is just this fictional story. And he, I think he originally claims that he wrote it as a love letter to his now wife. But we as an audience know, like, no, this is a real night that actually happens. Um, Before Sunset, I think might be my favorite screenplay of all time. Um, this I think, is, I think that this it is, is the, the best one of the it, trilogy. It really is just like a perfect, perfect movie. Like this whole, all this whole franchise you could say is just perfect in its own way. But this one is the pinnacle for me just because the screenplay is so perfect. Yeah. And do, we you th- get, do you think this one's the best Drew? I don't know. It's either this or the first one for me. It's closer than I think it is for you guys. If there's one thing that is definitely different about this one, it's they are, they were on a really shorter shooting schedule, and they are talking pretty quickly yeah. compared to yeah. the first one. Oh, well, it's, I mean, it's like 89 but minutes. It sell, they sell that because they say you have 90 minutes until you have to be at your plane. Yeah, and this takes place in real time. That was the only um, thing that I, I really felt. I was like, damn. Because I thought that the, the Blu-ray was on like a, the wrong speed because <laughs> they're really going it for it. But the I, acting is still like the same quality. I will say um, I do really love this. In a way, in ways, this movie – almost makes the first one even better. Like, whenever... So, in the first movie, we had this whole park scene where they're together, and in the second movie, they talk about that moment, and then they have this debate on whether or not they actually have sex. And it's, like, these two different perspectives of, like... We didn't have sex. Oh, well, yeah, we, we did have see sex. It. They don't show it. In they the don't first see one. it. So you could we don't you could, know. You could call it Rashomon theory. <laughs> yeah, we were. Yeah, uh, call back to episode 99 yeah. there. Call forward? Which um, one's first, Ernest? This is the call callback. This is episode 100, so... Okay. Good, hey, look, good for us. Um, um, but you're right. Like, it, the way that they talk about their past encounter is also very realistic well, for people that haven't seen each other in yeah. 10 years. It's also kind of a gender flip because, I mean, think about most of the time it would be, like, the female character is the one who romanticizes everything. But Jesse is the true romantic. He's a hopeless romantic. He is a hopeless romantic, and Julie Delpy is more of a realist. Yeah, and we're, we're going to obviously be spoiling a little bit, but one thing I loved about this movie is how they take their time with revealing what's happened since the yes. first... Yes. Like, it's, it works. 
we're probably more than halfway through the movie and there's all this sexual tension when they finally bring up that Jesse does have a wife and he kids. He has a wife and kids. <laughs> like the whole movie you're thinking, are they are they finally going to get married now? And Julie Delpy was married and since divorced. Yeah. But I love that they that they don't feel the need to like shoehorn that into the first five minutes of exactly. the movie. Exactly. It, it takes its time. And, and, it, and I mean, even back to the, to the bookstore where we're getting these cuts – these flash cuts back to the events of the first movie mm. and then what we think is a flash cut but we very quickly realize it's not yeah. that she's standing in the right bookstore there. and he's like Bleh! yeah <laughs> and right right there and they you know it's not like this big epic dramatic moment of like whoa she was th- she's right there the love of your life the woman you wrote the book about it's like no she's just there and then they have like this very sort of cordial like acknowledgement and like hey how, how you doing how's how's it been really it's awkward. not it's not like this grand romantic tragic no, because thing it's, it's awkward like yeah. <laughs> and to that point it kind of shows a little bit some more of how jesse's a little bit of a sleazebag about how he has a wife and kids he's the one trying to make all of the moves onto her he's just like let's just go get a hotel somewhere where we can just go like fuck yeah. before i have to go yeah and she's and like he's pushy but he's not like he he's definitely crossing a line and he definitely he's does cross creepy, the line, though, but he's, he's still charismatic. He's not like way. he doesn't lead with that. There's still a reservation there because their entire first conversation is about like extraneous topics. They're like yeah. avoiding talking about yeah. the fact that they haven't seen each other. Yeah, in nine they don't want to. I mean, Jesse especially does not want to have a wife and kids anymore. <laughs> like he actively is not bringing it up on purpose, almost. Yeah. And and their conversation is flowing just like it did. And I mean, they also they kind of talk about like early on in the movie they talk about like, oh yeah, you know, I couldn't actually show up that one year later because I had this thing come up. And he kind of beats her on the bus. She's like, yeah, I came, but you know, it was all right, and like everything else. And he throws it off, and then that's. That theme is brought up like later on. Yeah, gradually. He's well, like, as first, there's more conflict. Oh, first, yeah, he says that he. And he says he didn't go, but then she's like, come on. Or no, <laughs> no, something. He lets something slip later. Because uh, he's like, no, she's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Because I had family that passed and I was at a funeral and I couldn't be so there. But there's no go? reason that you couldn't have been there. And he's like, and yeah, I, like... I did go. <laughs> Yeah. But I just didn't want to make you feel like shit. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a, another uh, tick to the point that um, that you said earlier about making the first movie better. That you you think like they just decided that they were gonna meet up there. They didn't exchange any contact information, and then you learn like, oh yeah, that was a terrible idea. He shows up. And there's just no one there. He flies she, across the world. He didn't. She didn't think of like sending a friend there to hold a sign because she was probably yeah. like, well. He's probably not going to be there. But then, and then they also even talk about about like he lived in New York and she lived in New York for a period of time. They yeah. were literally in the same city together. He, he's like, I think I saw you like on yeah, my wedding yeah. day on the street, and, and it, he just nothing happened. Yeah, and they're like not sure, but she was like, Yeah, um, I did live right around that part of town. It's oh, tragic. Like yeah. it truly it's heartbreaking watching this movie happen as it unfolds. And then the, once again we get that wish fulfillment kind of feeling towards the end of the movie. But before we get to that, I want to talk about my favorite scene in this movie is the car ride yeah. over there in the back of the cab. Yep. So much emotion plays out in oh. this one scene where it's 
Whew. Ethan Hawke is broken down, and then um, Julie Delpy is lifting his character up, and then the roles flip, and she starts crying, sobbing about all this regret that she has in her own it's life. It's nine years of, of buildup to this moment. Of wondering what could have been. Yeah. And you can tell, like, these are characters who really yeah. do think pretty much every day about what would have happened yeah, and if jesse just keeps buying time like he's like uh maybe the taxi driver takes us to your place uh maybe i'll walk you to your room like it's it's really 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 it's it has the same setup as the first one where he just keeps on being like ah oh, it's fine it'll be fine it'll be fine we can stay just but keep this, pushing it off this scene in in the car is just perfection because i mean not only is it nine years of anticipation between movies like think about watching these movies in in actual time of release you know you are we watch these like within a couple weeks or or days or months or whatever this was nine years apart the the anticipation to this moment to this release of the of all of the guilt and regret because they're not happy with their current love lives the the reason why they are thinking so much about what could have been is because there's they are they do not have the emotional fulfillment in their current relationships that they yeah. think they would have if they would have actually found each other yeah and they're both in starkly different positions life-wise but they both have that same feeling together yeah and um, this is the moment where we get that call back to the trolley scene where uh Celine is the one who reaches out to touch Jesse and then she uh reaches her hand back when he turns and it's it's this beautiful and and tragic moment where you see this connection play out and all the years lost there in all in one single scene in one single moment it's it's amazing yeah um so then we get to the apartment and the walk up to the apartment up these stairs like you said, it's in real time. It's shown in full. I was so stressed. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. It's like I'm like Gah. sitting there, like looking. I'm like, we only have ten minutes left. Come on, guys. Fuck. Fuck. Figuring fuck, out what's fuck. going to happen here. Cheat the, on your wife. Yeah. Yeah. I've never cheered for adultery so hard in my entire yeah, it's, life. It's kind of fucked. But yeah. So but the movie it it ends at the perfect moment. So this whole scene in the apartment is like it verges it rides the line between being like full-on like cringiness that you just like want to get out of this situation because you don't know what's going to happen you don't want to be there to watch it and like you still you can't look away mm. because you want these two to be together yeah. and just you want them to throw away their entire lives that they built you want up them to throw away years. their clothes and just jump on each yeah. other yeah the her, song her that, that plays song. yeah the song that plays is beautiful she's an amazing singer and she's actually playing Play that guitar me, uh, i was watching uh, very closely song mm-hmm. yeah um she's very talented really great and then the first movie had a great cliffhanger. The second movie's cliffhanger is even better. Yeah. You're going to miss yeah. your plane. I know. The Sopranos ending. Cut yeah. to black. <laughs> it's perfect because you... You know they're fucking. You don't... Yeah, but the movie doesn't tell you. Yeah, it doesn't need to show and us. And there's, like, no, there's no resolution. There's no falling action at that point. Yeah. It's just the thing happens, yeah. and then it's that's it. And but before very, we... Uh, um, um, I was going to compare it to Whiplash in a way. <laughs> like the oh, yeah, it ends is, on the climax. That's true. Yeah. Um, before we get to the third one, before midnight, I want to say um, a, a grander point about all these movies, especially the first two, but also the third one. Uh, 
there are a lot of you know philosophical discussions to be had about like what's the point of art in general and you never you never have these discussions without sounding like an a douchey asshole yeah. who thinks a lot of his own opinions but this these are the prominent questions on Linklater's mind at any given time there's a blu-ray extra that's like this really fucking abstract bizarre short film about like why he makes movies in the passage of time and how important it is and it's fucking incredible like that almost drew me to tears that little film um because there are a couple different like definitions of the point of art one of them which we i think we see a lot is man trying to leave his mark on earth to like have a legacy yeah to like that's what cave paintings were in a way to be like hey i was here look like i made this fucking buffalo because that's what i saw because i was here because i was alive um and i think we still have that like i would point to like someone like james cameron when I watch his movies, I really feel like it's him being like, look at what I did while I was alive. Yeah. Like, you, remember me. Like, yeah. I did this. Uh, and that's not at all what Linklater goes for in his movies. Because the other, the I think the most beautiful thing about art is it can, like, help you figure out, like, everything about existence. Why we're here. What we're supposed to be doing. The whole point of it all. And Linklater isn't just, like implicitly like stating that that's the point of these movies it's almost all they talk about in the movies like he, he doesn't feel the need to bury this message of like why we're all here like in like symbolism he but just it, has them discuss it and it, it's so great and it's somehow not pretentious exactly which it's, like a movie like this could be pretentious by and in the hands of any well, other it director. rides that perfect line that i almost feel like this is a line that pretty much this movie rides and these this series of movies ride and pretty much nothing else do how like how often would you really want to watch two hours of people just talking like that's not a great sell yeah talking about like life talking about life shut up be like is this (laughs) what is this it has to be so well it's in paris yeah and okay and it and it doesn't feel like a almost kind of how sorkin you can tell with sorkin movies which one has his opinion because it's whoever wins the argument Mm mm-hmm um this doesn't have that feel it has the feel of two distinctly different fleshed out characters with very different opinions but a lot of common ground just trying to figure literally everything out within the course of an hour or two yeah just trying to figure out what is going on <laughs> like why are we here and neither of them are wrong yeah. like they both have valid opinions well i was just different life mindsets. i was gonna i was gonna kind of get into that a little bit because the more i think about this the more th- this is why I love movies like this where you can really just pick apart everything that that we don't see, mm-hmm. you know, all the 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 world that because we're getting such small segments of the events of, of these people's lives. There's so much that we don't see mm-hmm. that we can infer because they're so well made. And Jesse's choice at the end of this, I mean, we know because of the third one that he left, he leaves his wife. Every time I think about that, I'm like, what a horrible thing to do. <laughs> I know. To go abroad. For a fling that you had nine years ago. To, you're going to leave your entire family. To go abroad and hook up with this girl that you met one time when you were young and completely ruin everything that you've built, the child that you have, the marriage that you have, throw all of that away and and just stay in Europe with this woman and and completely disregard your child and your wife yeah. that is a horrible 
horrible thing to do. Yeah, and what that's, a terrible and man. He, he but we tries to replace them with a new family and like tries to pretty much forget about the life they had before. Yes, but we don't. the The amazing thing, and the credit goes to Linklater and to uh, Hawk, Hawk and, obviously. And dopey. Yeah, we don't immediately see Jesse as a villain. No way. You have to make that mental gymnastics to see him in that light because he is a a a human yeah. he is a human a a flawed person a flawed man like yeah. he's not you perfect. understand yes he did a terrible thing but you fully understand why and in some sick twisted way you wanted him to do that yeah that's the thing it's almost <laughs> like a be careful what you wish for movie this whole third movie because it couldn't be like the first two. We were rooting ha- for them yeah, to be together. With Jesse having done this, the third movie could not have been another whimsical walk through a, a beautiful city. It fits that in there at plenty of times, but it's not whimsical. No, this it's movie one actually long argument. This movie hurt my feelings. I, I'm like was, while watching it, it like, was hard to watch. It really was because over these first two movies, you've fallen in love with these characters. Yeah. like you really you feel like you are part of their relationship. That is a whole purpose to how yeah. these movies are put together is that it feels like you are this third party in their relationship and yeah that's why you want them to be together so bad and then in the third movie it's like watching mom and dad fight and you just you don't want to be there for that it's heartbreaking it. yeah it's, it's so hard heartbreaking and to struggle with their I, own personal struggles on top of that and, especially jesse well yeah. especially Jesse. i wasn't to say another thing uh going back to the ethan hawk interview um that he was talking about while they were shooting before midnight there's one scene early on because, of course, they're in a seaside village in Greece that is beautiful. And there's a young woman in her 20s that walks around with a bikini. And Ethan Hawke, like, turns his head as she walks by and, like, checks out her ass. And the second unit director was the guy who shot that. And he was like, Ethan, you can't do that. You can't just go look at her. And he's like, you don't understand. I'm a 40-year-old man, and there's a 20-year-old that just walked by in a bikini. I'm a horny little boy. <laughs> Jesse is going to turn around and check her out. Like, that's who Jesse is. And, like... He's a human. Like, that's just, we're acting like real people here. And, like, it really kind of threw back the guy. It wasn't Linklater at this point. I guess it was just doing the second unit stuff with this guy. And the guy, it like threw him back. That he's like, "Oh my god! Like, I don't, I, I don't want to see this." Like, he had worked on the first two movies with them too, and he's like, "This wow. breaks my heart." Just watching you kind of not throw your life away, but you're just kind of being so nonchalant with it that you have the love of your life and it's still not yeah. enough. So this is also the first movie where we have other characters that are prominently featured, have like a decent amount of dialogue, particularly in the dinner scene, which I thought was so yeah, fucking cool. we see the cool. younger yeah. couple and then the old couple. Yeah, the young couple, the old couple, the the wise old sage. It's just this whole group. Uh, Jesse is evidently, they're spending the summer at this kind of writer's retreat place Yeah, while well, he Greece. like writes his next yeah. masterpiece. And so it's obviously beautiful to watch, but all these characters are like amazing. And we only see them for like probably 15 minutes, I would guess. And we get a such a full, like beautiful uh, picture of who they are, yet we don't feel the need to revisit them. You know? and, and to out, outline the theme of, of love and romance and relationships, which is what all of these movies are about. It's mm-hmm. all encapsulated in that, uh, that dinner scene where we kind of see each generation's uh, take yeah. on what 
how they want to to be in love yeah and it's all just and it's all just a group of people trying to figure out like what's going on like what is going on with relationships what's the point of them how should they be again you don't have to bury your philosophizing if you're a good enough writer if you're good if you're good enough at writing unpretentious dialogue about the most pretentious concepts you could just have people talk about that shit and it's more compelling than any action sequence I've ever seen. I actually I wanted to say that the direction I think is best in the third one out of any of the movies. It like, looks so beautiful. The dolly movement in yeah. this movie, particular, like while they're just going through, they because they're at this it's like, like seaside village. They're at the seaside village, and then they like kind of get them. Uh, one of the couples gets them like a hotel, like within walking distance of some other village. It's like a honeymoon retreat almost for the two of them to kind of reconnect, and then just walking through this cobblestone of this ancient greek city that looks like it's been there for (laughs) thousands thousands of years like it's so gorgeous like you said the going up and down the stairs and into these tiny churches i did want to shout out the look of before sunset too though because it's like obviously it's it's a it's a golden hour movie the entire movie yeah Yeah. that's another reason they were on such a like limited time constraint because it had to be before sunset so it looks there's just this this beautiful bathed in sunlight glowing but i do i also kind of want to talk about it almost i won't say the roles were switched but over the years uh jesse becomes kind of a narcissist um especially like there's that one moment where they walk through the church that's like this ancient church and like like Julie Delpy is really just taking in like, wow, God, this has been here for thousands of years. It's amazing. It's just like, yeah, but I mean, like, can you believe that people still like believe that there's a holy man up in the sky? And it's like, yo, shut the fuck up. Okay. Like, just like take it, shut in. your mouth and just enjoy like yeah. what's happening. Also, right now. that's when we find out that they're not even married. Yeah. They never Despite got married. Despite being together all these years. Yeah, like, and, and she, they have two daughters. And Celine has a big girl job, like a real-ass job. Meanwhile, Jesse's she like... she doesn't like. Yeah, and she doesn't like it, and she's you know has to fill in the mother role of raising yeah. the children predominantly because Jesse just has to be off writing his shit. In, uh, in the second movie, she talks about how she wants to be this environmentalist. She's just like so full of like vigor and... And, and youth and like kind yeah. of this willingness to fight the man, and then they're both... Especially her, she's very beaten down yeah. in this third movie. She's that like, she's I've just been like fighting for she's this. Apparently, she's a parent. Well, I mean, she's a parent too, so she has to provide for she's her family. Tired. Yeah, she has I, to have a paycheck. I do want to. I do want to backtrack to the very beginning of this movie because it. It's just a. It, it's another uh, great introduction to these characters in this world that we haven't seen in in you know what it's nine years in this in this uh, timeline. Uh, because we 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 leave off on this note of before sunset where we don't know what the hell is going to happen next. All we know is that they probably hook up in her apartment. Yeah, but and that's it. And then to start the movie with Jesse saying goodbye to a, to son. a son, you already oh. know. Yeah. You're like, but you already know, but you don't you don't know that you're in Europe and you don't know that he is like sending his child back to America and he's going to stay in Europe with his new family. Yeah, that's true. Like maybe he's sending a kid back to Celine or something. And he's, he, that is all revealed very methodically during the opening minutes of the film where he says goodbye to his son. It's very moving because it's like they, they basically say like, they don't know when they're going to see each other again. It's not very uh, set or, or clear. And then he leaves 
and Celine didn't go in there with him to say goodbye to the kid. She waited outside with their two daughters. Yeah. So all of those elements, yeah. it's not like it's all dumped in front of us no. in one in it's, one messy yeah it's just boom puddle. then boom then boom and then also i want to say uh the scene immediately after that is just them riding the in car the car ride it's is, like and, over 10 minutes well, without cutting and they're car. like they have to be actually like in a moving vehicle because you're like watching things happening on the side of the road and they'll yeah. be like like you'll see something in the side of the road that's just like oh man let's turn off here and wake up the kids and show them this thing Jesse's just like, no, they're sleeping. Um, I don't want to And this is up. where the main conflict sort of starts to creep it, This up. is where it bubbles up a little bit, but this is also where we have a little bit of levity. Just a, just a bit. There's some there's some really fun moments. They're getting along for most of the scene. Really what I love about the scene is I had I had taken some time between the second and third ones, and I had watched a bunch of like normally structured movies. So when the movie starts, the scene where he's saying goodbye to his son is a normal scene. Like it's normal length, like five minutes maybe. Uh, so then they get in the car and I'm like, oh, here's like the 30 seconds where they say something and then they're somewhere else. And it's fucking 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. No cuts. Because, it's insane. <laughs> and it's like, it's almost, if I wanted to wax poetic, it is like a metaphor for all these movies about, you know, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Mm-hmm. Like, it has that feel to it where it's like, no, the interesting shit happens in between the scenes of any other movie. Yeah. That's where the real meat that's, of life is. That's boyhood too. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Think about how many great conversations you have while you're just in a car with somebody. Um, yeah. like that's... But, but yeah, our central co- conflict does arise where Jesse feels very guilty about abandoning his his family. And then Celine takes it as him pressuring her to move to Chicago, which she is dead set against. Well, she, Jesse is obviously very troubled by his decision to leave his child yeah, naturally. and his wife. Yeah, and probably should be. weighing down on him. And he's just like, my kid's growing up. I see him less and less. I want to be there for when he starts to need a father and, and when he's turning into a teenager and all that. And once again, like this leads into something where you can really sympathize with both characters, mm-hmm. where you can understand exactly. he does like his son is growing up and he is not a part of his life and he wants to be there for him. But at the same time, Celine's just like, I have my own life here. Like, you're just a fucking writer. Like, you can write anywhere. You don't have to be anywhere, but you are trying to pressure me to go to Chicago where your ex-wife lives that you left for me. And, oh, by the way, she fucking hates me (laughs) because I stole you away from your family. Like, it's so heavy. And this, I mean, because, so the conflict starts here in this scene, and then it really comes full-fledged. It takes over the entire movie. takes over the entire movie, but really it comes to a head in the hotel scene, which like this scene made me cry like while yeah. watching it. It's so heartbreaking that you were where in the first movie you're watching an infatuation and a relationship grow. In this scene you're watching a relationship fall apart. Yeah. It's it's really brutal and an interest I, I tried to get my girlfriend Allison to come on. She didn't want to. Uh she hates me for <laughs> <laughs> for this because like like really early on in this movie she because she loved the first two like they made her weep just with how beautiful they were not out of sadness or anything yeah uh really early on in this cinema really early on in this one she was out on julie delpy she was like i'm out on celine why because she was being a bitch well because that's the thing you're you're meant to maybe empathize with both characters or one more than the other and she made we had to pause it and talk about it because i was so interested because i I was seeing it through the lens of like i i would guess predominantly the men would sympathize with jesse and the woman with celine and we'd pause it and she was like when they're talking Celine's purpose is to just spit venom at him and that's really true especially in this hotel scene like they both have great points like they're both making amazing points but her intent 
is to insult him a lot of the time. And that watching that through that lens, I was like, wow, you're kind of right. Well, here's here's what I think about that. And this is a, a take that I'm coming around more and more the more I think uh, about it. I think that this is an argument that they have all the time. This is like a recurring thing that over the past nine years just has festered has and been grown. Yeah. And this is not the first time that they've argued about these things. So the frustration in uh, Celine becomes venomous and yeah. toxic because it's just something that won't fucking go away. Yeah, it's been bubbling for her. And that's why I love this anyways, because you can you can see getting over the years getting pissed off at Jesse because he, he he tries to stay so whimsical and like lighthearted about everything. He's always making goofs, which you love. But sometimes you got to hunker down and make serious choices. And that's I think that's also reflected in the very, very end of yeah. the movie where you get the sense that like he always has a way yeah. of just like pulling exactly. her back around and it's like the argument keeps happening but he always sorts of sort of reminds her like hey remember remember the train remember that that's still me and you you don't think i mean at least in my opinion it's not disingenuous at all no because hawk's performance is so fucking well good. yeah it's who the guy yeah, is it, it is him it's jesse in there he's still the same guy and he just has to remind her that, you know? But, I mean, it's so, in a way, this kind of, this movie makes a really tragic turn towards their relationship. It's tragic and it's very realistic in that relationships do have fundamental problems with them that you can be with the love of your life and you can still just, like, completely be on opposite ends of something that's kind of crucial. But if you're still loving each other enough, it's enough to move past it. At the same time... They do resolve it, and you assume they get back together and they make up at the end of this movie. That problem doesn't go away. Oh, it's not solved. Yeah, that's at all. still there. That's the thing that the ending did not read happy for me. Yeah, I was like no almost. Way. I was almost sad. Yeah, I exactly. Them to break up. You almost well. It, it's almost it's, like they're trapped a little bit. Yeah, it's like they made this choice. They, they already they, restarted their life once, and they chose yeah, to they, do it together. Yeah, they can't they do built, a second reason. Exactly. They built their relationship on a horrible. <laughs> choice like the, you you learn they didn't to... start it on a good note him finding her after nine years at a bookstore and then sleeping with her and deciding that he's going to leave his already established life in america that's not a good place to start a relationship well yeah. so it's like how i said in before sunset it makes before sunrise better i wouldn't say this makes the other two movies worse by any means but it makes them it makes you judge the perf- yeah. the choices in this well it shatters more. the illusion yeah it completely shatters yeah. the, the wish fulfillment the wish fulfillment's gone yeah this yeah. is it's not funny. a fantasy movie anymore this is real and, life and the it, choices that were made that's why in this that movie fantasy. broke my heart while yeah. watching it and yeah. it's almost i i found it really fitting uh that this was the first movie that it was even possible to shoot in like mega ultra hd Mm-hmm. Uh, because because they've aged, you see all their little wrinkles. You see their pores, and it, it fits with the message of the movie, which is like, no, don't look away. This is what you wanted. Like this, <laughs> this is what shit is like. Yeah. Because a lot of people are having that issue with ultra, like the quality of film we have now, where it's like, I don't want it to be that good looking. And that's kind of yeah. like it really works. It was for the me. Po- you can tell they don't hide how much these characters have aged. Yeah, uh, Julie Julie did age a lot better than Ethan. <laughs> yeah, still love our guy um, Ethan. Uh, well, to that to that point, I mean, when you just take a step back and you look at all three movies, the first one is just this impossible fantasy, and then the second one are them 
uh, reminiscing on that and trying to recapture that and, yeah. and not let it go and, and, yeah, and maybe and find for... any possible way <laughs> to go back to that fantasy. And then they do it. And it's like, oh, you don't just do that yeah. and, and get away with it. It's not happily ever. After. That's not how real. Yeah. Life like what works. if this was this this third one was like a really happy movie about his new life? Like, yeah. You'd feel icky about it. You know, you they have to address it. Yeah. Which um, every progression of the story is just perfectly logical it makes yeah. sense it's not out of left field it doesn't feel well, like a different reality yeah at all. that that is i think maybe the most impressive thing about this whole series is they it's so naturally written that even though so much time passes between all these movies the central uh dispute between these two characters this the fatal flaw of how they get don't get along is present in the very first one yeah it's already there <laughs> he's too a little bit much of a dreamer and she's a little bit more of a pragmatist mm -hmm. and if you really let that fester for years and years and you put kids and jobs into the mix that becomes the main thing of your life is that one yeah. problem and like, they even if you think back to the first scene of the first movie it's an old couple arguing on the train <laughs> yeah that's how the movie opens yeah. it's just this couple that is just fucking bickering and bickering and arguing um and and uh who i think it's celine she's sitting next to them and she's like fuck i'm gonna move and sit next to this cute guy over <laughs> here he seems kind of interesting yeah that's that's it's just it's beautiful to me how how they really they didn't force anything that happens in any of these movies in the second one in particular the when it starts with him reading about the book of what the first movie is i was thinking this could go wrong yeah <laughs> that could be really but fucking it, it campy. turned out to be the perfect and the, choice and the way they let it play out is so, the most natural way to handle such an unnatural thing and that it works perfectly and then this movie just takes that and it's like no this is gonna be too yeah. natural and when you think about the nine-year gap it's like they're thinking why go back to these characters? They're not thinking like, oh, we made a huge box office hit. We got to hit them with the sequel. These movies are all failures as far as... I think before Midnight made the most money, but I think it's still like about broke even yeah. on its box office But it's all budget. based on character. It's yeah. not based on like a production house trying to turn a profit at all. It's like we... It, we live in a world of sequels and, and and endless remakes and reboots and these movies like exist as this ongoing series. I, I mean, I don't know if it's wrapped up. We'll we'll see if they do another one, but it's not based on like yeah. money and, and the traditional no. sense of sequels. Oh it's, no. It's we <laughs> wanna keep returning to these characters because there's a story worth telling. Yeah. And a story that is worth telling not just for the characters in the world, but for us. And what we want to 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 think about in our lives in yeah. the in the time that's yeah. Passed. If you've ever heard any interview with Ethan Hawke, he's one of the most heady dudes out there. Yeah. Like this is all he loves talking about is like like why film is important and what he looks for in life and all this, which is why he works so well with Linklater because that's yeah. Linklater's central life's mission as well. Um, but back to that hotel argument scene. That was maybe the most hurt I've ever felt in a movie. Like I've never felt so cut yeah. by each both of their words. Um, I almost I don't know. I kind of wish that they had made Julie a little less venomous because her points are correct. Like she is right. Everything she says about Ethan is so right. It's just the problem is that she is actively trying to insult him by saying that she's not trying to solve a problem. He it takes him probably 20, 15 minutes into this hotel argument. That's when he comes out with the clause. That's when he's like, oh, you think you're such a fucking victim and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, she led him into her apartment. Yeah. She seduced him with the song. I mean, it's not like uh, he's the victim or yeah. anything, but 
he didn't force himself yeah. into this. And so that's what and what really saves the movie and what ties the the bow in all of it is the very end when he does this this beautiful little romantic gesture that's so Jesse, but he gives her that little speech that's like I'm not going to keep doing this shit. Like I'm not going to keep coming back to you with my tail between my legs. And it's it's not like he's trying he's just trying to tell her genuinely and she after that's the moment where she like turns it around. That's where she's like yeah, you're right. We are on the same team, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what saved it for me, because otherwise it would just be, like, Ethan just trying to be like, hey, goofing around while she's just like, you're a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did I did want to uh, uh, bring up another point about the argument in the hotel, because that's, I mean, really, the, the movie is, is a whole, it's a one big argument. It's a movie-long <laughs> argument, but yeah. the hotel is, like, the meat of it, mm. and Whenever you see an argument between a couple play out in a movie, it's always pretty much the same thing where somebody says something and then it blows out of proportion. And then like somebody uh, it's like Barry, like somebody flips a table or something. And it's like this big thing in before midnight. It's fucking just it's too real flesh up. Not what am I saying? Chef's kiss. (laughs) Flesh kiss. (laughs) Flesh kiss. (laughs) Uh, chef's kiss because there is this meandering structure yep. to the argument where you think they're about to make love and it's like oh no no it's coming back around oh you think that they're about to make up and then no it gets even worse yeah and then oh they start being sweet to each other yeah and, and then she's like she's about to leave and then she comes back in and it's not over yet and you're like no just end it yeah i don't want to see it anymore and that's just that's just how it is you know yeah. like arguments in movies are never like how they well, are in real life. Well, real movies are kind of like Cliff's notes for like reality. Right. And this is not mm. trying to do that. This movie is trying to be reality. Mm-hmm. And that is how fights work. I would want to ask Linklater how his marriage is going <laughs> after watching this. Because the first movie is actually based on a night he had in Vienna where he just met a girl and they walked around all night. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And he said like it obviously didn't go like that well. <laughs> he wishes it yeah, he like and that. he did. he said that he's such it a dork. It was wish fulfillment for yeah. himself. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But he's like, yeah, I, the, I'm such a dork that like the whole night I was yeah. thinking this would make a great movie. And uh, and Hawk <laughs> too. I mean, he uh, he's had multiple wives. Yeah, and you know, he was with Uma Thurman for a while, and mm-hmm. that didn't go well for him. Look, so. looks like Julie Delpy. Honestly, yeah. oh shit, that's yo, funny. I'm so all in. Get get Jesse and. All right. together. What if his his wife um, back home in the new movie is Uma Thurman? <laughs> oh my god, that be that's who we see in the fourth yeah. movie. Like how P. Holmes casted his actual ex to play his girlfriend. Yeah, like, yeah, he's yeah. like, hey Uma, listen, I know, <laughs> I know you fucking hate me, but we need you. Yeah. <laughs> what if I could offer you a movie that'll make five million dollars domestic? <laughs> On a $5 million budget. <laughs> no, uh, I did want to correct myself. Before Sunset actually was the most successful movie of the franchise, it made $15 million, uh mm. worldwide. $10 million of it was just from foreign. Um, and then uh, Before Midnight made $11 million. Um, not not bad. Not bad. Eight of that was domestic. These are lower. I mean, the budget of these is lower than that. Yeah, no, the budget is like $3 million yeah. for each of these movies. So, yeah. I just love that they exist. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know? like he, that's that's what I was talking about. <laughs> He's not trying to leave this huge mark on the earth. He's just trying to figure things out. 
and he's he trying to bring showing, us on the journey. But in a way, go. in a way, he did because these are some of the best movies well, I've ever that's seen. That's the thing; they left a mark bigger than any big movie has ever left on. Well, me. I think that Linklater. The difference is between him and somebody else who is like a camera, who's a spectacle director, is that he shoots life as he sees it. I mean, think about Dazed and Confused. Think about mm. Boyhood. Like he's. He finds beauty in life itself, even the ugly points of life that you don't want to see or that people mm-hmm. never actually showcase. Yeah, or just things that's, that are boring. That's where Linklater thrives is finding beauty in the little moments. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's my personal favorite kind of movie. There's, yeah. there's plenty of room. I love these plenty are the of stakes big spectacle that I like, movies. Like, I like this kind of stakes. Like, yeah. these are stakes of things that actually do happen in our lives. Yeah, it's, they're very human. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's a type of stakes that usually historically has been relegated to television, like like sitcoms. The stakes of a sitcom are usually my dad's mad at me you for say, twenty minutes. You, you know, say these are like a perfect medium rare steak, <laughs> and like blue beam in the sky. That's like very well done. Like it's mm. overcooked. It's just no red in the center. I just love that these exist. These really, because you guys have talked about these, and like I said, like hearing about them, you're like, shut up. Like I'm like doing the jack yeah. off motion whenever you guys talk about them, <laughs> and then I watch them, and I'm like, oh my god, like I want to <laughs> fucking move to Europe, and yeah. uh, it's just, it's too much. But they they make you think, uh, just about life and relationships and love and romance, and they you like I just keep saying you I just. Am fascinated by the lives of these fictional characters, completely and utterly enthralled in the choices that they've made and the mistakes that that they've that they've made. So, that's like one of the biggest testaments you can give a film. Yeah, fucking is, hats off to them. Hats yeah. off for having the balls to break so hard for the third movie to really uh, go against the grain of what people love so much about the first two. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's not an easy call to make, but it is the best call. Yes. Like I wouldn't want to see a movie that ignores all the huge problems that would arise. You do know? we do we want to do we want a fourth movie? I I think this is such a fitting finale in in a in a kind of bittersweet way it yeah that's what i was gonna say is that it almost where the first two movies ended in such like a uh they ended in a beautifully cliffhanger kind of way this doesn't feel like a cliffhanger it feels like this very bittersweet uh conclusion that it might not be the conclusion that we necessarily wanted but it's the most genuine conclusion of these characters you're yeah you're right because i you know you think about even with most of these movies you could have convinced me that there couldn't be a sequel like just to be like yeah what would happen and then they they made it work but well, especially- there's, there's some people who like i know uh listening to the podcast again with ethan hawk i keep referencing um bill simmons brings up he's like one of my best friends is uh like his favorite movie of all time is before sunrise and he refuses to watch the sequels because he was like this movie is perfect what? the way that it is and <laughs> i don't want to watch anything that will ever well, like after change my opinion on this movie nuts. after the second one i took a couple weeks to watch the third one because i i had known from you guys talking about it that it's different and i was like i just want them to you just happy. want this I, world i watched it immediately after <laughs> after that I cliffhanger a, yeah. i could not fucking help myself I, just... I tried to avoid it and then like i waited a day and i was like i'm gonna sit on this for a couple days and then like the next day i was like fuck it i need to watch <laughs> this movie i these need to mo- know what happens these movies really are like acid trips almost where like they bring you on this such a different journey and they put you in a different headspace where you mean like, a soylent trip yeah yeah soylent trip mm-hmm. that's what i said yeah. uh edit that ernie thanks <laughs> appreciate it um but where afterwards you like you've 
find after each and every one of these like separately i found myself having discussions that you typically would have when you're just like really high yeah you know like just I mean, like that's link later in general exactly he's like just permanently in that zone of like yeah. why don't we why aren't we always talking this, about this this is just like the the best possible version of of what he can do this is him at the height of his power yeah i, mean, I love boyhood i think boyhood is a fucking phenomenal achievement but it it's uh it's this, it's this, but not as, not quite as good. Well, I, it's like the kind of the same thing, but by focusing it on the kid. It, if Boyhood was more about uh, Ethan Hawke and Patricia, you just Arquette, wanted to be an Ethan Hawke. Movie. I, yeah, I just want Patricia Arquette. I mean, they the give Julie amazing Delby. performances in that film, but uh, just the the boy is not as compelling. But I still, no. I still love that. Well, movie. I will say, I do. I also really enjoy Boyhood. Um, I do think that this is the best version because, I mean. Linklater loves to write meandering dialogue. I mean, that's one of the things that's great about Dazed and Confused is that's just a movie where you're just hopping around with this guy who's just friends with everybody, and it meanders, but it that movie has a great tone to it because you get to see all these different facets of life yeah. in this world. This movie works the same way, where like you are seeing the meandering work to its best. I do think that kind of can work to its detriment sometimes. In a movie like Boyhood, where there's just sun characters that you don't care about as much and you're like okay i want to see this dialogue but with more interesting yeah. characters well another advantage that this trilogy has is that it's broken up into hour and a half segments instead yeah. of being a three-hour thing where it might if you know if, if two of these movies were back to back and it was one movie i it might become grading mm-hmm. it might be like it's been three hours and nothing's happened. maybe boyhood should have been like two movies that would be interesting. Yeah. Like I would be fascinated by um, that. I did want to say if we do get a fourth movie and they do keep the nine uh, year gap, that would mean we would have it coming out in 2022. Yeah. Which is coming fast. Yep. And their daughters would be 18, the twins. So I think that could be if they made the daughters a prominent part of the story and dealing with like that, uh, the, the, the parenting of it all, because this before midnight is not about parenting per se i mean obviously it, it's it's a catalyst for the conflict of uh um or uh, jesse's son in america wait a minute the daughter the daughters would they be 18 they'd yeah. be 17 no because yeah because they they're born like they're toddlers after. okay in uh in okay well they'd be they'd, they'd be, be, 16, teenagers. 16, they'd be teenagers they'd be teenagers yeah so it, that would be there'd be if, an avenue if they found a way to make that like a core piece of the story you know like maybe I don't know. I'm not. I'm not at a at a point to, no, to I th- pitch I, it. But I think that's a great idea, though, because it, it has to be a, a that's short a conflict, period of time, and that's a conflict in itself that they could come out better as a couple. It could come out more grating as a couple. Sometimes kids can yeah. help solve a lot of problems well, in a relationship. Sometimes kids can expose those problems and bring them right to the surface. Um, so, and it would be great to see how they perceive their parents' marriage, mm-hmm. because like like I was saying, a sequel to Before Midnight. I don't know, just because. Like, which avenue are they going to take? Are they going to just keep fighting? I don't want to see that again. Or are they just going to be, like, all happy? I don't want to see that either. There is a middle ground, of course, which I'm sure it would be in. But I think that's the the Maybe move. one daughter sympathizes more with one parent and the other with yeah, the other. Yeah, yeah. I think that you got the move right there. If Maybe if, if, if yeah, I could later. make... Call us up. If I could make the movie, I think maybe <laughs> I would wait longer. Whoa. I would I would actually probably wait well more than 10 years. Wait like 15 years. Maybe 20 years. Give us like old Ethan Hawk, like old man um, Silver Fox Hawk and have like just them 
just old. Um, just being Link old, later, like, talking if, about the end of life. If you're listening, Linklater, please don't do that. I, <laughs> I do want to see another one, and I might not be alive that much longer. I'm only staying alive till 2022. <laughs> yeah, <this is> it. <laughs> I, maybe that's the fifth movie. Uh-huh. Just keep it going, oh, man. Yeah, yeah exactly. I will, I, as long as they're good, I'll fucking yeah. keep watching. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. If this just for the rest of our lifetime and Linklater's lifetime is every nine years he makes a new before movie. That'd be, I am, that'd be fucking crazy. I am so What do you title them, though? Yeah, we're out of style. Before dawn? Before dawn, before dusk. Before twilight. Before noon? Yeah. Before noon. Before 8.30. <laughs> when they're really old, they're like, ah, I, don't wake me up before 8.30. Before afternoon. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I, I think, think we covered it. Yeah, I think we can wrap it up. Uh, happy episode 100, guys. What a great, great, <sighs> joyous time. Proud of us. A journey. Uh, Talking about movies that everybody should have seen at this point. Well, how are... many episodes will we be at if uh, by the time the next before movie comes out? Maybe like 300, 400? Wow. Big milestone. We should Holy time it shit. out so that we What's have What's going to a... be episode 200? What franchise are we going to go into next? Are we going to watch every Marvel movie up to that point and then just discuss no. all of them all no. within an hour span? No. If you have suggestions, uh, tweet at us. At we you have plenty of time. You have like two yeah. years. Yeah. Shaz- hey, Shazam so. 8. If you have <laughs> any uh, just extended thoughts about these movies, if they mean anything to you, if you find as much to ponder over as we do, please let us know. If you hate these movies and you think that they suck, let us know. Yeah, yeah will... honestly, yeah. If if you're out I, there and you can, I am you can interested. make a point. If, if there's somebody who like watches these <laughs> movies, who actually cares about movies, and is just like, yeah, I think these suck, I would be fascinated to hear from this person. Yeah, woof. Um, all right, boys, where can we find you online? Uh, Twitter and Letterbox at Hunt Mobley. Listen to episode 99 where I... Crack more crate. Oh, this crack has this has been a crack crate. Yeah, this has. Oh man, so longest one ever was cracked. Yeah. I like this one way more than any of the others because <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I got to participate. I'm gonna start doing a uh, diving into DVDs segment. Huh? Dot DVD. D- dive into that D. <laughs> diving for D. Yeah. Okay. We're, we'll go with that. Yeah. One. <laughs> that's that's my plug for this week. Uh, diving into D's. Like, look out for it. Yeah. In the future. No, your plug is just DVDs. Check them out. Honestly, they're so cheap. Go to a pawn shop. <laughs> yeah. If you're, I mean, the thing is, if it's any movie that's like pre HD, yeah. might, you might as well just watch the DVD for it. It's too. That's eight. not true. It's barely a fucking. <laughs> Remember difference. HD DVDs? Like these before movies looked amazing on DVD. Guys, I'm, they were stunning. Did you watch the before movies on? Are they even on? They're just on Blu-rays. Um, no, I threw away your Blu-rays and I replaced it with DVDs. Oh, you I just went and found yeah. bootleg DVDs no, for I, them? A Little Miss Guys, Sunshine on DVD looked perfectly great. Like, so I've been awesome. getting really into Laserdisc. It's going to make a <laughs> Betamax. comeback. Betamax? Yeah, Betamax is making a comeback. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I'm at Calderness on social media. Hit me up on there. And thank you for listening. We will be back next week with, what, Dark Phoenix? <sighs> I guess. <laughs> the epic finale of the x-men saga the dark masterpiece yeah yeah all right well looking forward to that looking forward to uh our mid-year album check-in with our friend danny uh and toy story 4 at the end of the month so those are some things that you can look forward to we love it um so stick around tell your friends leave us a glowing review and we'll check you next time thanks for listening Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.